CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Hash. Here we are. I'm Jen. Adam and Will are on the show with us today on Coindesk TV and the Coindesk Podcast Network. We are going to jump right into it and talk about that I word. Adam, what do you got for us? Today is another inflation day, and this time, don't worry, the economists still got it wrong, but in a nicely novel change, the news is better than expected rather than worse. According to the Consumer Price Index numbers released this morning, the official rate at which prices are growing slowed in July by more than economists had forecast, reflecting in large part lower energy prices, particularly a significant drop in gasoline. Those numbers, while still at decades high levels, allow traders betting that the U.S. Central Bank has done its worst to gain some confidence in that bet. And with U.S. midterm elections coming up fast, that could provide a better narrative for the embattled Biden administration should the Jerome Pedled uh, institution ease off a little bit. Now, as always, I like to show the latest chart from shadowstats.com where economist John Williams tracks various forms of government statistics using the same methodologies they were calculated with around 1980. So let's show that chart now. That's about the last time that we had such high levels of inflation. So now today we're talking about levels that are just under 9%. But if we take a look at that chart, the red line shows the current way that inflation is measured, while the blue line shows that same data viewed through an apples-to-apples -apples comparison to how it was measured back in the 1980. As you can see there, uh, even with today's new data coming in lower, we're still at historically high levels, with the rate above 15%, were it not for those methodology changes. So this is good news, but we've actually seen dips like this before. So it will take more than one report to really get some confidence that inflation is in fact on its way down. As it stands right now, though, it is driving a market narrative that I think that we're seeing significantly across the crypto sector. Uh, Will, I'll throw this to you first. What do you think here? Yeah, I mean, it's good news, right? But only marginally good news. We're still at 8.5%. That really hasn't changed year over year. And that's not great. Uh, but it's nice to see that we're peaking, perhaps, and that energy prices are a key contributor there. And we've, I think most people have seen the price of the pump going down over the last few weeks to months, which is a huge bonus, right? I think within crypto and within Bitcoin, we do get a little cynical and we keep cheering for things to get worse because we want our thesis to play out where Bitcoin is adopted and crypto continues to be adopted. But that's not what we should really want, right? We should want everything to get a little better. We should want inflation to go down. We should want things to work as normal. 
uh, that's kind of the interesting case for Bitcoin, right? We wouldn't need Bitcoin really if the dollar was used correctly and if there was actually some steady hands at the wheel. But you don't have a situation we have 8.5% inflation and we have a government that continues to spend money and cause inflation to go up. And we continue to have like these other macro factors in play, right? Like the Russo-Ukrainian war, energy issues, uh, inability to create new oil reserves or new oil flows for the energy market. Uh, the one thing I do want to know is like core CPI didn't really change, right? And so that tells you that things are pretty steady there. And so for the average uh, American, life is not necessarily getting much better. Uh, going into the fall months, this really matters because we have midterms. Now for crypto itself, Bitcoin, Ethereum, we saw that they both pumped a little bit on this. Bitcoin broke above 24K for the fourth time in about the last 30 days. Ethereum is also up about 9% on the day. At this point, it's really difficult to say like how much they are trading based on inflation. Uh, maybe there's an argument that Bitcoin is trading the most on inflation it ever has. Uh, I think in the past, we've really just seen Bitcoin trade based on uh, perception and based on people's interest in cryptocurrency, expecting like the money to keep going up over time. Uh, but right now, it's basically hovering around wherever we see the CPI print. Bitcoin sort of moves with it and therefore the rest of the crypto market. At the same time, though, it's really hard to say, right? Because breaking up 24K for the fourth time in the last 30 days or so, it's hard to say there's a correlation there. Jen, I'll throw it down to you. Yeah, I have a question, Adam, for you to maybe just break this down further. So we're saying that this is marginally better news, but there are still people who are struggling to afford the rising interest rates when it comes to their mortgage. There are still people who are struggling to you know, buy groceries, to feed their families. What does this news mean for those people? Uh, this news means that things are getting worse at a slightly slower pace than they were before. When you're talking about <laughs> consumer price index numbers, I mean, seriously, you're talking about the rate at which prices are increasing. Uh, and, and really, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the rate at which they are growing. So this is a slight improvement in that things didn't get worse, like things are getting worse, but they're not getting worse faster than they were last month, which has been the case for the last 18 months, or actually 16 months. This broke a 16-month uh, month over month growth cycle in all of that. So it's not a thing that's going to help anybody, but as uh, sort of a comma in the moment that we're in right now, right? Where people are really looking at the, what the Federal Reserve is going to do, it matters there because the Federal Reserve is really all that matters. And Will, you were saying that Bitcoin is tracking inflation. I would disagree with that. Bitcoin is tracking the Fed. Bitcoin is tracking at what point the Fed eases off on the rate hikes and returns to its supportive monetary policy. Now, my core thesis around this, since the Fed started hiking earlier this year, was that we would see the end of this uh, around the end of August. Because at that point, the idea that you're going to increase interest rates and actually push the U.S. economy into a recession is completely toxic sort of to the ruling class. So there's a, a big kind of political angle that comes into play here that is hard to deny. So I think that this report is actually the best possible thing that Jerome Powell could have possibly hoped for because it allows him to have a plausible reason to say, okay, it's working. We can do less of this, even though really the reasons why they'll, they'll do less of it, this is not going to tame inflation. But the excuse gives them the pretense to then pay attention to the political considerations that I think really are the ones that trump most everything else here. <laughs> Aren't I cheery this morning? Yeah, I was going to say, Adam, very. every time you come on this show, it's just this cheeriest start to our days. Well, to be fair, I think Adam <laughs> always... Like it lands on the inflation conversation, right? I feel like consistently when you're on, it's like the CPI print comes out that week. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how it's happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me say one other thing about your comment. 
You were saying that, you know, like that a lot of people in Bitcoin kind of cheer this type of thing. And certainly I come off at that. This is not cheering for the destruction. This is cheering for the inability to hide the destruction of the money that has been occurring for basically all of our lives on this show here, which has typically been easy to hide, relatively speaking, but is now increasingly difficult to hide. So what I love and what makes me very happy is when reality cannot be masked. And this is not a true form of reality, but it is closer than we typically get in these types of political cycles. And so as a result of that, I like that because to the extent that these problems actually are exposed and talked about and discussed, they actually get solved. But that's not really the way that the system works today. Today, you're not allowed to talk about these things. And to the extent that you are, again, look at mainstream economists, right? They are professionally wrong for a living because what they really do is they support the narrative. Anybody who's a real economist who's actually looking at the numbers and getting this stuff right, they're dealing for private clients, right? Like, because that's valuable information. But public economists serve a narrative too. And it's very important to some people. It's just not useful to us in the markets today. I totally agree with you. Like uh, economists, especially in the Fed, are politicians at a certain point and they are, are responsible to the administration. That's why the Biden administration got these numbers first, right? And they rolled them out this morning. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas. Well, let's move over to Renbridge, which according to a new uh, study from Elliptic has laundered about $450 million worth of illicit crypto funds. Pretty scant report, but this does follow Monday's news about Tornado Cash, uh, which was sanctioned by OFAC regulations. Right now, what we're seeing is a lot of regulations coming down on the weak spots in crypto, whether that be bridges, mixers, iffy DeFi applications, stablecoin projects that should never have been thought of, let alone birthed. And uh, I think we're going to continue seeing it just based on what has happened the last year or two with crypto prices going up so high and going down so low and retail getting wrecked. Uh, Renbridge has been used in the past quite often for uh, illicit activity. The last one I can think of off the top of my head is Cream Finance back in November of 2021. Uh, Renbridge was used to launder some of those illicit funds that were taken from that hack. Renbridge, interestingly, is actually a multi-sig. So there are a few faces and people behind this account that are able to do some things um, to stop illicit activity with Renbridge, but they've never taken that proactive step to do anything about it, right? They've chosen not to, and that's why a lot of people in the ecosystem have chosen to continue to use Renbridge compared to other sources, because I think the rent ecosystem really does have a little bit of that cypherpunk mentality in it, where they're going to continue to build things, deploy code, let anyone use it no matter what. Uh, at the same time, it does come with a downside, right? If there's people associated with the account, then people can come after it. Jen, I want to throw this one over to you. A after Monday's news, like this is just another hammer blow. I've seen another report like this. Typically, we see these reports come out, and then a few weeks later, we some see some sort of like OFAC regulations or we see some sort of mm -hmm. government regulations rolled out as well. Well, that's exactly where my mind went when I read this story. It was I wonder what regulation is going to come out 
after this. We spoke about these cross-chain bridges on the show, I think, last week. And I read this very long and complicated tweet by Vitalik. I apologize to our users for that. But, you know, there are so many issues with the cross-chain bridges right now. And the issues are being pointed out in ways like this, right? In in numbers. We're talking about more than $500 million. But that's since 2020, which I don't think is actually that much money when we look at hacks in this space. I don't know. Maybe one of you are going to disagree with me. I think that during this bear market, we're going to see a lot of startups really try to solve some of the issues with cross-chain bridges. But I think before we get that great solution, unfortunately, regulators are going to come in like they did with Tornado Cash, and they're going to try and put some kind of ban or some kind of sanction on using tools like this because of headlines like this one. So I think it is unfortunate, but I hope that we see some solutions created by builders in the space. Adam, what do you think? So not about this specific story in general, but just more kind of broadly about the crypto space, and especially during kind of this, uh, this crypto winter, whether it be long or whether it be short, you know, cryptocurrency is what you can consider an anti-fragile system, right? So a fragile system is something where if something happens to it and it's not something that's like a good thing, it's not something that's planned for, then the system can just kind of fall apart. An anti-fragile system is something first described by Anasim Taleb as a system that to the extent that it faces adverse scenarios, but doesn't die, it actually gets stronger and it becomes resistant against those attacks in the future. So that kind of anti-fragility comes into crypto in a variety of factors. One of those factors is something like Bitcoin, which is constantly attacked, but we're also seeing it in DeFi. And it's not just a technical thing too, right? When a bridge gets hacked uh, and lots of money is stolen from it, that tends to be a failure of these types of things. And the protocol, if it survives, should be able to harden against that type of attack, but sometimes not. Now, from a regulatory side, exactly the same thing. When you're looking at one of these projects, if it has weaknesses from a regulatory perspective, then that can be another reason why either on the one hand, you change the protocol such that it becomes stronger against that, or if it's not possible to change the protocol, or if, for example, there are people involved who hold keys and are thus custodians of these types of things, whether indirectly under the eyes of the law or not, uh, you know, that can create these types of risks. And that's really what I see here. So I like these types of things happening because I think they harden the ecosystem because were these projects allowed to continue on longer, well, these flaws could wind up having leading to much larger losses than you see when they're addressed early. So my biggest complaint about the regulatory stuff really hasn't been that people want to regulate this. It's that the ways that they've regulated have been unclear intentionally so, so that it can be arbitrarily applied for whatever sort of the purposes that they want to at whatever the time is that they want to do it. But I think that uh, sort of this is another example of that. And I do hope that we see some action off of it because it'll tell us something about the ecosystem one way or another. Will, I saw your hand go up and then we'll go to Jen for last words on this one. Yeah, just to Jen's initial question there, like the tornado cash uh, laundering amount that OFAC threw out on the press release was in the 10 figures, so billions of dollars. And this one's just in the millions of dollars. Still significant though, right? Like if you're a government and you're trying to score some points, they're going to go after the low-hanging fruit. And right now, that's anything with crypto. I mean, this reminds me of like the very classic uh, police photos of them getting like a few pounds of marijuana or a few ounces and then like some cash from petty thieves. And then they take <laughs> photos and post it on Facebook, right? Like you have the ability to do that stuff. You can still go after it. It's still illicit activity. It's not going to be like the Bernie Madoffs of the world that you're going to snag every time. Uh, so this is a little bit smaller, but it's going to continue happening. Jen, to you. I just wanted to get a point in here for Wendy because she's not on the show today. 
You know, all of these things are still in beta. We were talking about that yesterday. So many of these projects are really just figuring it out. And it would be so nice to see regulators work with the industry so that we could get to a point where things are working and then we can look at how to regulate them. I think regulating before we get out of this beta stage is so counterintuitive and so unproductive for innovation that it is sad. Yeah, one last story that we should definitely mention before we move on to our last topic is actually an assassination attempt uh, or assassination money reportedly paid out for John Bolton from an Iranian nationalist who is looking to take out the, I believe he's a former uh, Secretary of War. Adam, can you correct me on that? But uh, basically a, a very influential figure within the U.S. government over the last 10 years with a very strong history of aggressive and hawkish foreign policy. Uh, this seems to be one of the first instances where we're seeing assassination attempt money paid out via crypto. Uh, they used an encrypted messenger and they offered to pay out using crypto wallets. So this, of course, brings crypto back into the regulatory spotlight because John Bolton is definitely a well-known figure on Capitol Hill. Adam, I'll throw it to you for your take quickly on this, and then we'll move on to our last subject. Yeah. John Bolton is uh, notably, far more than 10 years, he's been sort of systemically important to the kind of war factions within both uh, Republican and Democratic parties. Uh, John Bolton has the distinction of being one of the only advisors who's never met a war that he doesn't appear to be in support of. Uh, And so especially within the world of cryptocurrency, he's not particularly popular, which tends to be much more sort of uh, nuanced in terms of when a war is justified. Now, as far as uh, all this goes, I saw a lot of the use of the word alleged in there. And I also saw that this was supposedly coming from sort of the Iranian like government or part of their one of their military apparatuses. Again, I would exert extreme skepticism. We live in a world today of incredible propaganda and where really anytime you can connect something who you've painted as the bad guy into something that you also think a guy and don't like, well, hey, that's double. Yeah, I just want to say for people who are just getting to the space and get uh, freaked out by headlines like this, to just take it with a grain of salt. So the money was allegedly offered to be paid in crypto payments. But, you know, if crypto didn't exist, this alleged plot would still happen, but money would, would be paid in fiat or gold bars or something else. And so to rope crypto in to such a sensational headline and sensational story, I think does the industry a disservice. And so if you are new to the industry, just make sure you read between the lines and don't get scared off by headlines like this. But let's move on now to some trolling in celebrity land. So someone is trolling celebrities and the US Treasury Department all at the same time. An anonymous crypto user transferred small amounts of ether from a sanctioned address Two celebrities like Dave Chappelle, Jimmy Fallon, and Beeple. The U.S. Treasury Department, of course, as we know, banned the use of tornado cash in the U.S. and now prohibits U.S. people from interacting or transacting with the privacy tool. The trickster is effectively pointing out the absurdity of the sanctions here. It's not possible to block uh, transactions from arriving in your wallet. And I think that this does a good job at showing that. Will. What do you take away from this? Do you think the celebrities are going to get caught up in some regulatory issues? Yeah, this was a really fascinating story. And uh, it's, it's been talked about actually in the past where this could happen, that a U.S. government takes out an address that a lot of people have interacted with in the past. And therefore, anyone who has interacted with it in the future, therefore, becomes tainted. 
And people can use these addresses in a very uh, open manner, right? I can just send Tornado Cash money to anybody and bam, they are in uh, breaking the, like the OFAC regulations, which tells you about the OFAC regulations more so than it does about Ethereum or any project built on it, right? The fact that you can send money this way and it's going to be tainted immediately. That's because these OFAC regulations typically target bank accounts. They're not tailored for uh, addresses that are used on blockchains, like very different projects here. Uh, funny to see it. I don't think anything happens long term because I, I don't think that OFAC is going to chase down all these people. Obviously, it's a dusting attack. This is well known in the past. And if OFAC has anyone worth their salt within that administration, they're going to look at this and be like, oh, not a big deal. At the same time, I do think that there's going to be some movements around Tornado Cash over the next 6 to 12 weeks. Maybe someone boots up another implementation of it. Maybe someone does something else with it, launders a large amount of money, doesn't cover the tracks correctly. Tornado Cash is still very effective. We actually saw volumes on it pop yesterday. A lot of people were using it. And so I think there could be some unlucky or maybe not the wisest person getting caught with that and then getting themselves in hot water. Adam, over to you. This is a fascinating story. So... There have long been talks about blacklists, green lists, white lists, all kinds of different types of lists that you would want to have in a blockchain world in order to enact a system like this. And that really is the challenge, is that you need to actually fundamentally change how these technologies work in order for something like this to work. Really, what you need to do is you need to adapt the system such that addresses can be placed on a protocol-wide blacklist, which would then prevent them from sending anything, effectively freezing them. Now, the problem with this, of course, is that it would fundamentally break the fungibility of the asset. Now, you could do it by stacking it on top, right? A company like Elliptic or like Chainalysis could run one of these things and allow people to run an additional piece of software that does this. Okay, that would work for customers, but it wouldn't work for everybody else. And given how many people aren't customers in the system, it means you'd get penetration max 5%. And I'd be shocked if you even got to that. So it's a lot less about what do we wish was true? And it's a lot more about what is the reality that we are faced with? And the reality that we are faced with is this dusting attack demonstrates just how nonsensical these types of controls are. This is very much the equivalent of writing rules, you know, of the road for horse-drawn carriages and then trying to apply the same types of things, you know, to airplanes, right? It's not even the same medium of movement, much less something that has a similar means of operation. And fundamentally, they fail as a result of that. People are always going to want this stuff, though. And again, what we see here, I think, really is a headline. We are looking at a headline that impugns these types of things, right? Not, not the headline around the dust attack, but the headline around the banning of this stuff in the first place. Because, Will, to your point, this is open source software. There's nobody and no company and there's nobody being sanctioned. They're trying to sanction you know, speech. And we already have really great case law in the United States that says that that's actually something you can't do, even when the military says that it's a weapon that you're doing, right? Like you go back to the 90s and the clipper chip was all about this. So like that's the world that we're living in today. I love this attack because it demonstrates just the ridiculousness of this and the fact that narrative is not reality, which is such an important lesson in our world today. I'm going to ask both of you to speculate here. Do you think regulators really don't understand the tech that they are regulating, or do you think that they are playing in the gray area on purpose? <laughs> I mean, this is easy. Like, again, like the, the, <laughs> the, if, if, uh, so obviously they understand the technology enough to understand that it's dangerous to them, that it threatens their power, that it threatens their monopolies. And that then leads to these types of things where instead of getting effective regulation, what you get is narrative regulation. 
what you get is a court that forbids someone from transferring funds from a wallet that the court has zero control over, right? All they can do is attempt to scare you into compliance when in reality, they can't even track this stuff most of the time. Again, like companies like Chainalysis make ridiculous amounts of money working for governments trying to help them do this. And look how many arrests there still are. It's, it's incredibly rare. Look how many hacks actually get tracked back to the person. It happens almost never unless the person was such an amateur that they make incredibly obvious mistakes. Back to you, Jen. <laughs> no, you're, you're not frozen anymore. We heard it. I was one of those hopeful people and I'm just so disappointed now. It's Will, sad. you got some speculation to add? Or... I know it is sad. I, like, I really I like Adam's, I like Adam's thing too. We'll leave it on Adam's thing. Tomorrow, hopefully we'll have a, a happier show. We don't have to talk about regulation <laughs> and inflation, but surely, Sorry, guys, surely I'm back we tomorrow will through the rest of the again. week. So yeah, Adam's oh, no. back again. So just going to be a big downer. <laughs> just kidding, Adam. We love you. Thank you so much for watching us on The Hash on Coindesk TV and for listening to us on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We will be back again, same time, same place tomorrow. We will see you then. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.